Welcome to Bed Crime Stories Podcast. I'm your host, T. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, bed crimers. As always, I wish you the best. To anyone new here, a warm welcome. Thank you for checking out my channel. Let me just ask that after listening to or watching this video, if you learned something or enjoyed it, please do me a favor and smash that like button. Now let's dig in. Well, hello, friends. Hope you're all having a great weekend. Happy Father's Day to all the awesome dads out there who turn up for their children and help guide them through this thing called life. Love and appreciate you so much. As all women who've had loving dads can attest, there's nothing like the father-daughter relationship. It's simply precious, so thank you. A few true crime updates to share with you all today. In the case of 33-year-old Corey Richens, the Utah mom of three young boys, accused of doing in her husband Eric with a lethal Moscow mule on March 3rd of 2022, nothing like five times the lethal dose of fentanyl to spice up your cocktail. Corey's defense team is saying that law enforcement never identified or seized any fentanyl or other illicit drugs from the family home. The defense wrote in a motion, quote, the state has provided no evidence that there was fentanyl found in the home, nor have they provided any evidence that Corey gave Eric the fentanyl at issue, end quote. Corey is accused of not only doing Eric in, but also of trying to change a life insurance policy that he had and withdrawing money from their joint accounts without his knowledge. Corey's lawyers are further arguing that there's no evidence identifying the computer from which the login was initiated in regards to the attempt to change the beneficiary on Eric's life insurance policy and that Corey had a right to the money in her and Eric's joint accounts. Eric had allegedly changed the beneficiaries of his will and life insurance policy from his wife Corey to his sister before he died. Eric changing the beneficiary to his sister reminds me so much of what Lori Vallow's fourth husband, Charles Vallow, did prior to dying. Clearly, Eric was concerned about Corey in relationship to that life insurance policy. Corey's attorneys tried to argue this past Monday that their client should be released on bail during her trial. They're calling the prosecutor's evidence circumstantial since police didn't seize the fentanyl from the Richens' home. By the way, according to KCPW News, Corey had a sequel in the works to her first children's book about grief called Are You With Me? The sequel is titled Mom, How Far Away Is Heaven? I'm thinking she might want to change the title to Mom, How Far Away Is the Prison Where You'll Be living. Sorry, I just had to go there. Corey's iPhone search history shows that she searched the following phrases and questions. After Eric's untimely death, can cops force you to do a lie detector test? Luxury prisons for the rich in America. And if someone is poisoned, what does it go down as on the death certificate? I'm sorry, but all of this makes her look as evil as a person can get. 
And to think that she thinks she deserves to be in a luxury prison for the rich? I hope that if she's found guilty, they send her to Rikers Island. That might teach her privileged derriere a very valuable life lesson. The judge refused to release Corey on bail, by the way, saying that she posed a substantial danger to the community if she were allowed to post bail. Corey has yet to enter a plea and is due back in court for a pretrial hearing on June 22nd. Moving on to Joran Vandersloot, the main suspect in the unsolved 2005 disappearance of American teenager Natalie Holloway. He was recently extradited from Peru to Alabama to face federal extortion and wire fraud charges. Vandersloot pleaded not guilty to those charges. Vandersloot is accused of extorting the Holloway family in 2010 in exchange for revealing the location of the teen's body for $250,000, according to federal prosecutors. During a recorded sting operation, Natalie's mother's attorney, John Q. Kelly, met with Vandersloot at an Aruba hotel, giving him $10,000 in cash as Beth Holloway wired $15,000 dollars more to Vandersloot's bank account. Vandersloot claimed he had picked Natalie up, but she demanded to be put down, so he threw her to the ground. He also said she hit her head on a rock, and he claimed she died instantly from the impact, according to prosecutors. Vandersloot then took Kelly, a lawyer, to a house and claimed that his father, who has since died, buried Natalie Holloway in the building's foundation. I love how this POS has no problem throwing his father, who's deceased, under the bus. Has he absolutely no shame? Kelly later emailed Vandersloot, saying the information he had provided was worthless according to prosecutors. Within days, Vandersloot left Aruba for Peru. Before he was extradited to Alabama, Joran Vandersloot was serving a 28-year sentence for doing in 21-year-old Stephanie Flores in Peru in 2010. Here's how Joran's extradition to the U.S. happened. Apparently, newscaster and attorney Greta Van Susteren, back in April, supplied the Holloway family with the name of a contact in the Peruvian government. With the help of this person, the Holloways were able to arrange for Vandersloot's extradition to the U.S. Holloway's family is hoping that the process of urine facing charges of extortion and fraud might lead to more information regarding the whereabouts of Natalie's remains. If Yorin is convicted on these charges, the maximum sentence would be 40 years. For the Holloways, that will offer some justice for the loss of their precious daughter. Natalie would be 36 years old now. She disappeared when she was 18, so her parents had her for 18 years, and now they've been without her for 18 years. Incredibly sad. Moving on to Lori Vallow, the doomsday mom found guilty of doing in her two children, J.J. Vallow and Tylee Ryan, as well as conspiring to do in her fifth husband's wife, Tammy Daybell. Lori was back in court this past week 
According to witnesses in the courtroom, she was seen smiling and chatting with her lawyers before her hearing, in which her lawyers argued that she should get a new trial. The lawyer's reasoning was that her indictment was changed during the court proceedings. Lori's attorney, Jim Archibald, argued that Lori was treated unfairly because her original indictment accused her of conspiring with a group of five but it was then later changed to just two. Archibald said, quote, Not until seven weeks later was the jury and my client told that, just kidding, the conspiracy is really two or more people, end quote. But prosecutor Lindsay Blake said changing indictments was permissible by law, saying, quote, the indictment may be amended at any time before the prosecution rests, end quote. Mr. Archibald also then tried to argue that a juror appeared to have been confused by the instructions of the court, evidence of which he claimed could be seen in an interview the juror gave to Nate Eaton of East Idaho News after the case. But Ms. Blake said this too was a false claim, saying juror number eight is unequivocal in stating the jury instructions were clear, end quote. In the end, Judge Stephen Boyce denied the request, so no new trial for Lori Vallow. Boyce said, quote, I don't find any sufficient evidence for a new trial to be admitted, end quote. And apparently there was an incident during the hearing when Lori, who was in red-striped prison garb and ankle shackles, came back into the courtroom after a recess. She ran into a wall somehow and almost tripped because of her ankle shackles. I keep getting an image of the wife in the movie Fargo when her kidnappers take her to the house in the woods and she's running around because she has something over her head and she's tripping and running into trees. I don't know why. According to a witness, Lori then scanned the room to see if anyone had seen this slip and trip go down, and she was clearly embarrassed by it. I'd say poor Lori, but after what she did to JJ, Tylee, Charles, Tammy, and probably Joseph Ryan too, it's impossible to feel sorry for her. Her sentencing is scheduled for July 31st. Fairly certain she's going to get at least two life sentences, plus some added years for Tammy Daybell's death. After that, Lori will head to Arizona, where she'll be facing charges for conspiring to do in her fourth husband, Charles Vallow. And if there is a trial for Charles Vallow's death, then I will be there. I live in Arizona, so that's one trial I'll be able to easily attend and give you firsthand insight from. As for her husband, Chad Daybell, he's scheduled for trial in April of 2024. Moving on to the situation in Portland, Oregon, where there are fears that a serialist is on the loose. The bodies of six women were discovered in the Oregon region of the United States in the last five months, sparking fears of a serialist. Kristen Smith, 22, Joanna Speaks, 32, Charity Lynn Perry, 24, Bridget Leanne Ramsey Webster, 31, Ashley Real, 22, and an unidentified woman were all found dead within 100 miles of each other. The inside scoop is that people are referring to the as-yet-unknown perpetrator as Viper. Apparently, there is a brand or type of electric bike 
called a viper. I'm assuming that whoever locals believe is responsible for one or more of the six women's deaths has a viper bike. 22-year-old Kristen Smith's mother is advocating hard for answers in her daughter's death. She's been spending time at the wooded area where her daughter's skull was found, and she went live on YouTube to ask for anyone with information to come forward. Victim Joanna Speaks also has an advocate. It's one of her friends, and he's been out at night pounding the streets trying to get answers about how Joanna ended up deceased from blunt force injuries to her neck and head in an abandoned barn 22 miles north of Portland on April 8th. Note that according to Joanna's sister, Ariel Hamby, all of the victims died of suspicious causes not related to gun violence or overdose. So that leads one to wonder, did all of them die from blunt force injuries or was it something else? Police in Oregon continue to downplay the idea of a serialist, but according to the state's online database, half of the 140 people missing this year from Multnomah County in Oregon are women and girls. In addition, there are currently 401 active missing persons across the whole state. In two of the cases of the six women, that of Joanna Speaks and Charity Perry, it's believed they were taken to remote locations after the fact in an attempt to conceal their remains. More and more, it's looking like whoever is responsible for all or some of these women's deaths preying on the vulnerable, the homeless, drug users, prostitutes. If you have any information on any of the cases, please contact the following law enforcement agencies. In the case of Kristen Smith, you can dial Jeff Pontius at 503-823-0433 or Detective Christina Coffey at 503-823-1081. In the case of Joanna Speaks, contact the Clark County Sheriff's Office Major Crimes Unit tip line at 564-397-2847. For Charity Perry, contact the Multnomah County Sheriff's Office tip line at 503-988-0560. In the case of the unidentified woman, Contact the Multnomah County Medical Examiner at 503-988-0055 and reference case number MU-230-424-999. In the case of Bridget Webster, contact Polk County Sheriff's Office Detective Martin Watson at 503-623-7550 and in the case of Ashley Rial, contact the Clackamas County Sheriff's Office tip line at 503-723-4949, or you can use their online email form and reference case number 23009521. That's all for today. Until the next time on Bed Crime Stories, hey, smash that like button, subscribe to my channel, leave me a comment, and I'll see you next time. Hey, everybody. Um, so, as you guys know, I'm Kristen Smith's mother. She went uh, missing 
beginning of December. I last spoke to her the end of November. Um, and I've been searching for her for months, for six months. All those flyers, all the TikTok videos, the news, everything. And sad news is we got word that uh, her body was found. And sadly, other victims too, right after her. So this is really hard for me to do, but I'm going to share this because I'm still hitting those streets. I haven't stopped. I'm still asking around. I'm still asking houseless people um, if they have any information. Because here's the deal. Kristen was not homeless for long. Kristen hit those streets with her boyfriend, left my home, was introduced to drugs, and introduced to the houseless community. And unfortunately, she didn't, she didn't make it out there very long. And I know a lot of you know what happened to her. And I know you guys are scared to come forward. But you don't have to say your name. You don't have to say who you are. You just have to call Portland police. I have a detective, Christina Coffey. You can ask for her. You can email her, you can call her, be anonymous. Please do the right thing. If you know anything about what happened to Kristen, please come forward. If you are a mom yourself or a daughter, or if you have a sister, you would want this help, this, you would want justice. You would want somebody to help you because no family member, whether it be a mom or a dad or a sister, an aunt, an uncle, a best friend, nobody, nobody should ever have to spend every day of their life feeling a part of them is broken. A part of them is, their soul is gone. I spend every day out here, I'm gonna share it with you all. This is where Kristen was found. No mother should ever have to go through this and spend every day out here. Please, if you guys know something, say something. I know that there's a lot of you that know what happened to her. I know it. I know you all know each other out there and like I said you can be anonymous okay I know it's scary to speak up but was Kristen your friend did you know her she was a beautiful girl she had a great life before this last year of her life she had a lot of friends she was always laughing she loved to make TikTok videos <laughs> She loved dancing, smiling, hanging out with her friends. She loved animals. She was a beautiful girl, beautiful heart. She just got into the wrong crowd the last year of her life. And that is the truth. And I'm not judging anybody and I'm not blaming anybody. 
I'm just asking for help. Please come forward. Please say what you know. Any little piece of evidence, a text message, a picture. I know Kristen reached out to some of you. I know she confided in some friends when times got really rough for her. If you have any information or Facebook message me or call me, get a hold of me. A lot of you know how to get a hold of me. There's this hashtag justice for Kristen Smith page. Get on there, please. Please help me. I need answers. I need to know what happened to my daughter. I'm pretty sure I already know, but I need proof of that. So I need the community's help. I need all of you 20 year olds that knew her and were friends with her. Please help me. Thank you.